Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Nakhavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yivamot, daf Ayin Vav, page 76. So we have two missions here that are going to discuss an issue of people who may or may not marry uh, into the Kahal, into the Congregation of Israel. What's interesting about our first Mishnah is, is that it's going to continue the discussion of the Bitsua Daka, uh, right? A man who has uh, crushed testicles or something else wrong with his genitals. And there was discussion before about it. This type of person cannot marry uh, into the Kahal, but it was at the specific actually having been taught. So now we get to the Mishnah that discusses it. Bitsua Daka Uchrut Shavcha Mutarim Begiorat Umishochrerat. So a man with crushed testicles um, or whose penis has been severed, uh, they actually can be married to a female convert or a freed uh, female slave. And they're prohibited only from entering, uh, the, um, uh, entering uh, the congregation. So they quote this pasu from Devarim chapter 23, verse 2, which explicitly says this. So what's interesting is we don't very often get a Mishnah that quotes the pasuk where it comes from. It does appear in this particular Mishnah. I wonder if it's because it's a little bit, it's a very sensitive topic. And so they want to show that, you know, in explicit pasuk, it's not some kind of form of midrash halacha, um, but it's just, it's explicit. And then the Gemara goes ahead and asks a very interesting question. So they raise the following question in front of Rav Sheshen. What's the halacha about a priest with crushed testicles? Right? Normally, a priest would not be allowed to marry a convert or a freedman. And so the question is, what's the status of a priest who has this issue of having crushed testicles vis-a-vis being able to marry people who are normally he's not allowed to marry. He still retains his Kedusha like any other Kohen, and he's still prohibited from marrying any of these women, which really would put the Kohen with the crushed testicles in a real bind, right? Because at least we're sort of allowing somebody who has one of these types of wounds they still can get married. They can't marry any woman, but they can marry particular categories of women. But if we want to say that this Kohen still maintains some of his Kedusha being a Kohen, kind of even further limits who he would be allowed. Or do we say he doesn't retain, he doesn't have his Kedusha anymore. He doesn't have his sanctity anymore. And therefore he would be permitted to marry a Gior, which normally would be categories forbidden to him, but since something about his circumstances changed, this wound to his genitals, he would be allowed to marry them. Amar Rabbah, so, uh, so, sorry, Amar Luhu Rav Sheshit. So they said, so Rav Sheshit says to them, Tina Tuha, right? So he says, you already learned this in a brisa. Kai Yisrael, Mutar Benitina, right? A permitted, a regular Yisrael with these crushed testicles, Maria Nitina. So Nitina was a particular category when Yehoshua uh, conquered the land. There was a group of people, uh, the Gibonim, who basically sort of lied as to who they are. They didn't admit that they were from the seven nations of uh, Canaan, 
who the commandment was they actually had to be killed during the Kibush Eretz Yisrael when they actually conquered the land. And they basically converted. Um, so in order to uphold sort of this breach that they made with Yoshua, uh, they weren't uh, killed when the land was conquered, but instead they were sort of relegated, I will almost say to sort of this lower caste. They were made like, uh, you know, uh, the woodcutters. Um, and they're, they're, that's what a Nitzina is, right? So Christ is saying is that if Tzuat Zakai Yisrael can marry a, a, a Nitzina, right? V'isa, which normally was not allowed to happen. V'isa, okay. If you want to say that he retains his sort of sanctity as a Jew, right? It says you shall not marry them. So this is a pasuk from Devarim chapter 7, verse 3, which says, you're not allowed to marry any of the Canaanites. And the Givonim were one of the Canaanites. So it seems that somebody who has this particular wound loses some type of their Kedusha, some type of their sanctity. And this should also apply to a priest. So if this happens to a priest, previous categories of people who are not permitted to that priest to marry should not be allowed. Rabba objects to this. I'm a Rabba. Atu hatu mishum Kedusha, Vav Kedusha who? So he says that there's no proof to this. Because, you know, the prohibition against marrying uh, a Kanani, is it due to Kedusha or not having Kedusha, right? Dilma Molid Bang. Rather, the reason for it is because you could have a child from your Canaanite wife, right? Um, and we're, the concern is, is that if you had children with one of the Kanani, your child would, you know, sort of be prone or would be raised to actually do a Vodazara. Right? And uh, so this concern only applies uh, when they are still non-Jews. Kimigare Yisrael, okay? But if they actually, if, if, like as the Givonim did, they actually converted. Sharo, um, they're actually permitted. But it was the rabbis who decreed that the Givonim weren't allowed to marry into Yisrael even after they converted. And when the sages made this decree, Right? It was to those who are capable of having children. But if someone's not capable of having children, so Rabbi basically comes to say that this category of the Givonim is actually sort of a very, its own separate um, separate category. So the Gemara is really, I'm not going to read all of it. It's going to go back and forth. It's going to raise an objection uh, with Rabbi. Rabbi is going to go back and reconsider what he has to say. Rav Yosef is going to come and he's going to raise an objection and sort of try to bring an example from Shlomo um, and uh, marrying uh, Paro's, uh, Paro's daughter and maybe trying to make an exception with Paro's daughter because she was one of, uh, one of uh, royalty. But it's a very interesting discussion that sort of wants to get into. It, it kind of actually loses. They don't actually answer this question with the Kohanim, instead, they actually spend all this time talking about the Givonim. So that's the other thing that I just want you to pay attention to as you're reading this, that what's interesting is they don't answer the actual question of Rav Sheshet. Instead, they get into a whole tangent of the Givonim. I don't know what the answer is to the Kohanim. I think it's a great question, but we don't actually ever arrive to a conclusion. Okay. Um, the next Mishnah kind of really is the direct continuation of this discussion because it literally goes into talking about the women of the, the converts who are women, right? Because specifically, Amoniyomo Asurim, 
Converts from Ammon and from Moab, male converts, are prohibited from marrying women who are born Jewish, meaning they could marry other converts, but they can't marry women who are born Jewish. And that's a prohibition forever. But the female counterparts, meaning the Ammoniah or Moaviah, the women who are converts from the nation of Ammon or from Moab, are allowed to marry Kal Hashem. They are married, allowed to marry men who are born Jewish uh, without any hesitation. I do want to note here that the Psak from the Rambam, meaning generations after the Mishnah, is that we no longer abide by this prohibition, not because it's been canceled, but because through all the mixing of, of peoples, right, that the we don't know anymore really who is from Ammon and who is from Moab, and therefore the restriction against marrying converts from Ammon or Moab is kind of null. You know, it's a it, it's kind of voided by the fact of that we just don't we can't identify them as such, at least according to the Rambam. So if Ammon and Moab were prohibited forever, the Egyptian and Edomite converts, these are again the men who convert from from Egypt or from Edom, are prohibited for three generations. And then after that, the children of you know of these great-grandparents who had converted will be allowed to marry directly into women who had been born Jewish. Um, but more than that, actually, I want to take a step back. The converts from, from Egypt and from Edom are not only the male ones, but also females. They are not supposed to marry Kahal Hashem, meaning, again, born Jewish, male or female. Except for Rabbi Shimon says, no, no, the women of Egypt and Edom can marry the men who are born Jewish. It's a kalvachomer in a Mishnah, which is already an interesting piece of um, halachic logic, I suppose, meaning the fact that it's not discussed in the Gemara, or it is discussed in the Gemara, but it's already discussed in the in the Mishnah. His rationale here is that there's a an a kalvachomer to be made, right? This this rationale meaning that if the Ammonites and the Moabites, the men, have a prohibition against marrying into the Kalashem forever, and their female counterparts are allowed to marry right away, then when you say that you've got a gener- you've got nations from whom the prohibition against marrying Kal Hashem is only for three generations. So then how could you say that the women are also prohibited for three generations? It must be that they too, they, they, how much more so must they be allowed to marry in um, immediately? And I would say it's also important to note that from the halacha that, um, again, Rambam, um, well, there's a machloket about the people from Edom, whether, they're, whether they are considered as in, intermingled or not. But again, the majority position is that the Edomites are also intermingled. And the Egyptians, it's a little trickier. I guess that people feel that the Egyptians are more identifiable as such. And again, so there's a, there's a machloket, whether they are intermingled or not. Ramam still saying that they are, meaning that everybody has kind of lost that ancient tribal identity. Amrulo, so Rabbi Shimon's, the, the Rabbanim say to Rabbi Shimon, so they say to him, if you're telling us a halacha, 
What does it mean, a halacha? Something that you, Rabbi Shimon, have received as a Masora, as a transmission, a heritage from your teachers, then we'll accept that. But im ladin, if you're just giving us logic, right, then we can refute your argument, right? And Rabbi Shimon says, um, no, that's not so. I disagree with you. Loki, halacha ani omer. I'm, I'm telling you that the logic, um, I disagree with you saying that you can refute the logic, but in any case, this is halacha, meaning that he had received from his teachers, presumably this idea that there is the kavachomer to be made is the halacha that he has learned, right? So at the end of the Mishnah, or by the end of the Mishnah, we conclude that the women of Edom and Egypt, if they have converted to Judaism, can marry people who are men who are born Jewish immediately. Um, the Gemara goes on to talk about, you know, how is it that these Amon, the Ammoniah and the Moaviyah are allowed to be married immediately? And it gets into a fairly intricate discussion about Shaul and David HaMelech and who's the father of David HaMelech. Now, again, this is not a concern about Amon Moav. The concern really is what is Shaul's concern is what is the lineage of David HaMelech? Because Shaul, you'll recall, is from the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, and the whole family of David, right, is from the tribe of Yehuda. And there's a long, you know, by the time you come to the Navi and the story of Shaul, there's already a statement that the kingship is going to be through the tribe of Yehuda. So the concern that is, Shaul's concern is whether David's parentage, if you go back far enough, is it from Zerach or is it from Peretz? Meaning, if it's from Zerach, then he's going to be, you know, important, but he's not going to be a king. But he's from Peretz, then it will be the idea that um, that he will be Peretz Derech, that he will, you know, break through and, you know, become a king. And there's no stopping him, which, of course, is Shaul's main concern, that he's going to lose the kingship to to the family of Yehuda, and in this case, to David specifically. But what's interesting to me about this, keep in mind, right, the great, how many great-grandmother of David HaMelech is Ruth HaMoaviyah, which is, you know, I think that we're close enough to Shavuot that this has to be a, a nice nister. Um, yeah, it's the, there. I did think about it today. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. The idea that, you know, that David HaMelech descends from Ruth HaMoaviyah, even though Moavim, the male Moabites, are prohibited from marrying Kahal Hashem. So the 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 Gemara kind of like gets into the weeds of this discussion of David's paternal heritage, right? Whereas really what the the connection to the Mishnah is from his again, not maternal, not literally his mother, but if you go back far enough to the to the to Ruth to Ruth as his great 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 whatever grandmother. Um and of course, that's considered legitimate. David HaMelech does become, I mean, there I've said it, right? David does become king. Um, and the fact that Ruth was able to marry into Kal Hashem was never questioned. The question of who she's going to marry is a part of the Megillah, but it's not, there's never any concern there that she's from the Moabite nation and therefore can't marry. Um, you know, the question of what happened to Naomi's sons who did marry out, you know, so to speak, once they were in Moab is a different question. But again, it, it's still not, it's, there's no, the prohibition is not relevant. And that I think is the point of the Gemara here. Right. And, but, it, but it's a very, very lengthy discussion. I mean, it goes all the way on to the next staff even, even, 
Um, and it's a great example of some, you know, kind of the close read that we see Chazal do of sort of Prakim that we, you know, may be familiar with enough and sort of read it as a narrative and a story, but they really pay attention to like each and every word that that and like how it's actually written. So it's, it's a great example of that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.